Welcome everybody to another episode of Transcendent. This is the podcast where we talk about suicide, suicide prevention um, with a futurist lens. And really it's to get a better idea of how to prepare ourselves for this massive public health issue in the future, but also to kind of glean some ideas for how to prevent suicide now. Um, my name is Chris Maxwell. I'm the uh, communications coordinator with the associate, the American Association of Suicidology. And I'm super happy to have my co-host here, Bo Pinkham. He's the director of crisis intervention at the Crisis Center of Johnson County. Hey, Bo. Hello, everybody. How thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for joining us. How are you today? I'm really good. I've had a long day, but I'm, I'm feeling energetic. I think we have a good topic tonight. I'm ready to dive in. Yeah, we were we were just talking um, beforehand about uh, you know that, that we've received a lot of good feedback from people. Good, who yeah, yeah, and uh, we will be transitioning to a crafts based podcast. Yes, and true crime based on crime that has been committed with crafts. Yeah, true crafts is what we're kind of thinking about transitioning to. Um, because because true crime and crafts also transcend humanity or something. True crafts is a really good name for a true crime. True crafts, right? Actually, we need to just immediately pause this and go register that and do that. I think we just, I think we've, we've pigeonholed ourselves too much <laughs> to this point. <laughs> I mean, suicide is a very specific topic, but crafts are everywhere, right? You know, crafts, well, like you said, crafts and and crime are transcendent. So, did you just see our viewership like quintupled as soon as we started talking about crafts? So, yeah, you know. All right, well, we're in it for the long haul. So, anyway, um, my wife does cross stitch, and uh, I'm just on Etsy all day. <laughs> really really this just becomes a podcast to to promote our etsy channel yeah uh, which is going to be lit y'all um, yeah so oh i before we jump into the main topic i, I do want to bring up something that happened last week uh after after we recorded the, the last episode um i don't know how many people out there have seen this but the cdc released uh new information um new data based on the 2017 suicide numbers um, and of course we've gone up again. Our rate has increased another, what was it? It's well, our rate has increased 33%, 33%. Since, 1999, yeah. since 1999. So, so our, our rate is now at a flat 14 per 100,000 population. Um, whereas in, in 1999, it was like 10.1 or something like that. So. Um, we've we've continued to increase over the last uh, couple of decades. We also saw increases across all demographics. Yeah, I was about to say all demos went up with sharp increases um, in females and um, for folks who are in more rural areas. So the reason I bring this up is not just to throw a bunch of really sad numbers at everybody, but is to say that we we do have a lot to be hopeful for and that um you know what bo and i talk about in terms of 15 20 years 30 50 years down the line um these are things that we need to be paying attention to now and these are things that we can be paying attention to well in advance yes 
start seeing these numbers curb around. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, the fact that we've seen a couple of decades worth of uh, rising numbers is not is not great. But I think that there's now we're now at a point where we are talking about these things, um, you know, decades in advance, trying to prepare ourselves, trying to get ahead of this, whereas the, the field, I think, up to this point is largely not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, suicide is a cunning foe and we need to be at least three or four steps ahead of it. Also, whatever we were doing in the nineties that caused that like kind of large plateau slash dip, what did, I don't know what was happening then, but we should go back to that. Everybody was focused on the Clinton presidency. Yes. And the internet was becoming a thing. And as we talked last week, maybe it's the fact that we had a new frontier open up to us. And we were able to explore that. I think I think another part of it was that we were largely seeing um, a lot of uh, federal attention, federal funding attention starting to pop up around that time. Um, crisis centers were probably getting better at uh, addressing large scale issues. Sure. Yeah. Uh, trainings were starting to come out, like some some pretty high tiered trainings were starting to be developed during those times. And yeah. the economy was really, really nice. It was, ball, it was a baller economy. It was really right. good. So there's a lot of societal things happening too. Full you know, we, we didn't have deficits for a while, right? Remember that? I, I don't remember what that was even like. Yeah, you're. I think you're younger than me. So yeah, but I remember that being like a thing that we talked about. Well, I didn't talk about it, but, um, but people talked about it. Anyway, I'm really glad you put a positive spin on tonight's episode and just kind of, you know, because we are going to be looking to the future. We are going to be, uh, you know, always doing our best to prepare ourselves for everything that's coming. And, you know, I think this podcast is just a very tiny uh, piece of that as a field of what we're trying to do. And that's good because that's a good segue, because what I want to talk about tonight, Chris, is the apocalypse. Oh, God, no. Oh yeah, we're going there. This is this is so okay. Yeah. All right. So so let's talk about uh, how other. Does, how does yeah okay? How does the apocalypse happen in this scenario? Well, I, I want to talk about a few scenarios, right? And I'm not. We're not going to go down the zombie realm because that's stupid. I hate zombie apocalypse. All right. It's dumb. It's really dumb. Uh, also, unfortunately for you and me, one of our favorite shows, The Leftovers, which I wouldn't really say is apocalyptic, but, you know, it gets tread on that. We won't talk about that. Any acts of God or anything like that. We could. Hold there on. might. Hold on. First of all, spoiler alert. Second of all, you and I disagree about the about the impetus for that movie. So just to get that out in the open. Yeah, no, well, I mean, I, I'm not saying, not so much acts of God, but like unexplainable happenings that we okay. just can't. Supernatural, weird stuff, sure. right? Hypernatural, is that a term? You know, like just maybe a force beyond our ken because it involves that new dark fluid theory that just came out yesterday, which I don't know if anybody's read about that. Um, the, the fluid from, from uh, the X-Files? Yeah, it's the fluid from the X-Files actually is filling the universe. No, they, they've done some, there's a new theory in physics that, I, why are we talking about this? There's a new theory in physics that uh, merges like dark matter and dark energy into like one kind of like fluid-based thing that might account for like the 95% of the universe that we know is there, but we can't actually like measure it. So 
Anyway, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, the apocalypse that's actually kind of right now upon us and um, want to talk to you about uh, climate change and how that's looking for the world uh, because it's awful. It's a uh, horseman of the of the apocalypse ride on melted glaciers. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that wow. Can we have that for our image next week? For just four horsemen on these melting ice horses. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, no, I want to talk about the fact that uh, some really scary things have come out in regards to the future of the planet Earth, right? So last week we were talking about space. I wanted to dial it back even further, and we'll just stay on Earth for right now. And we'll maybe make assumptions that maybe this happens before we're really fully technologically capable of like setting up good, sustainable colonies elsewhere in the solar system, which I would say is probably not too much of a leap for us right now. We're making headway, right? And all sorts of space exploration, but if the apocalypse happens in a decade, I don't know if we'll be able to mobilize everybody uh, quick enough to get us all out to Mars or Venus or even the moon. I don't know. I think this is that scenario and kind of like what we talked about last week when, when, Elon, when Elon Musk was asked about space colonization and how it was uh, the rich man's vacation, right? Um, I think any sort of apocalypse within the next 10 years that's going to, you know, and then and that would rely on some sort of technology to have like lifeboats for people out to other places, that scenario would include the super rich. Yes. Right? And we've yeah. seen that. We've seen that depicted in a bunch of different pop culture. I think 2012, that was like the, the movie of the 2012. Yeah, I didn't watch. You watched that? Yeah, John Cusack, man. Um, so yeah, he's, he's a sign of quality always. <laughs> he's he's a never sign on this podcast because he's listening to this right now. Be like, oh, who's the sign of quality? You jerk. But yeah, no, no. yeah. From you one B list uh, podcaster to one B B list, we're I don't even we're not even B list. But no, anyway, there's no letters for us. Um, but, but anyway, yeah. So in that in that movie, like the the uh, the whole the whole premise was that you know that there were these lifeboats these massive spaceships that were supposed to take people to some off-world colony that had been, you know, all of these tickets to these massive space yachts had been pretty much claimed by the, by the world's super rich. And the only way that people were going to survive is by jumping on these boats. So exactly. uh, that my whole tangent was really just to agree with you. Okay, good. Well, that's the best tangent. Um, but I wanted to, so I wanted to take a look at that because I really, I, I got this in my, it was one of my first ideas for this podcast, right? It's just now that we're really starting to take a look at humanity's effect on earth and man-made climate change, or who cares if it's man-made or not, it's happening, right? It does matter to us, but for the sake of this podcast, let's just say climate change is happening. And we don't have a way of reversing it in time. And so there will be, in this future scenario, which I'm not saying is happening now, but there will be an apocalyptic scenario where the world will end as we know it. And a lot of people will probably perish. And I wanted to see what we could think up of uh, for what the field of suicidology Hi, Chris's kid. How you doing, bud? Oh, so sorry. Yeah. All right. 
Let me go play. <laughs> it's a Minecraft going, man. So, anyway, yeah. so what what would the what would the field of suicidology look like in a scenario where we had scientific proof that, like, say, a majority of the world was going to perish? What you know, like, uh, and I started thinking about you know, and this is where I kind of get back onto kind of the tangent of the leftovers again, one of the world's best shows. You know, like the U.S. government in that show, um, which had put cults in with the alcohol, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, right. because cults became so commonplace that you needed a specific government agency um, to deal with them. And I would say that probably cults would probably make a comeback. I don't know if they're actually waning or not, but it seems like the glory days of cults have come and gone maybe i don't know somebody else oh, I, can... think I think they're still there and there's there's a lot of issues with i think it's cultology um yeah. and i it's think the... you know that the reason i really liked the leftovers was specifically because of that aspect that that people recognize that in a time <laughs> where we have a potential apocalyptic event or if we have um something that's really really traumatic to a lot of people um that they're going to fall back on these kind of primitive, um, no, I'm not going to say primitive, but these these more um, kind of abstract supernatural kind of explanations, and and so that's that's what we'd be kind of up against. And so mm -hmm. even, you know, we're going to be it, it's it's even worse than um, you know the 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 senators who who come into um, session with a snowball. And say, well, it's cold outside, so climate change doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. We're going to be dealing with a lot of people who are are um, not just denying that that what's happening around them is happening. We're going to be dealing with people who um, are denying the fact that we are in dire dire straits. Right, but uh, but as a field for us, right? I mean. You know, obviously, you and I can personally agree, outside of our professions in suicide prevention, that cults are bad. Please don't join a cult. You know, there's help for that or whatnot. But in this apocalyptic scenario, there's going to be cults that keep people safe from suicide, I would imagine, or at least provide that kind of support that we usually see people who are having thoughts of suicide generally need. Uh, it might not be the most healthy support, but it is a support out there. And then there will be cults that promote the idea of suicide. Um, mm. And that's something that we're going to have to guard against as a field. And this is where we get into some nuance because there's a whole bunch of – this is where it's it's kind of – if you want to go down a rabbit hole, it's really kind of frightening. You know, based on, like, the temperature that we see rising – in the world like these scenarios have some nuance right there's some gray area as for you know whether or not like things are going to get really bad to like you know just not that bad to apocalyptically bad and how many people perish or have their lives affected by all this climate change and i think that's going to kind of really for us as a field we're going to have to deal with repercussions of each one of these scenarios but i think the apocalyptic scenarios are kind of the most fascinating for me to think about because 
wherein does our field operate if we know that no matter what, some of these things are going to go down? And like, you know, does it, do we have to pivot somehow and really kind of like, who would we focus on then, I guess would be the question. Do we still focus on everyone? Do we, you know? So what what's our threshold for the apocalypse? I think we should operationally define Apocalypse. Yeah, I'd say probably the destruction of like most government infrastructures as we know them, like, you know, uh, massive displacement of people, like millions to hundreds of millions of people. Um, a decrease mass- in general population by what, like a third or sure. half? Yeah. Mass death somewhere. Um, so with, when, and when we're talking about climate change, um, and the and the impacts of that. What do we? T- I mean, we're looking at a lot of different things, a lot of different um, groups, very respected groups, and um, I, I can't remember what the uh, what the most recent one is, but it's basically a bunch of international, a group of about a hundred international scientists. Yeah. That come together and they discuss this every year, and they put out a report. And the report this year was incredibly dire, but it referenced things like war and famine and uh, uh, drought and all of these things that can lead to massive numbers of casualties. So the reason I ask what our, what our threshold for the apocalypse would be, so I, I would say like, maybe if we're going to define it, it's, it's the general ending of the world as everybody, as, as society understands it currently. Right. Something yeah. along those lines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, dramatic paradigm shifts in the way that society functions. Right. Um, and so I'm also thinking about how we would, how we're going to look at suicide risk in an apocalyptic setting. Mm-hmm. And if we are going to use, like, I mean, we have to have something to kind of define the the prevalence of, of that risk. And I would say that it's probably healthy for us to use something like, um, uh, you know, Klonsky's uh, theory or the interpersonal theory uh, from Joyner and kind of and, and look at those components as they relate to what people might be experiencing in an apocalyptic setting. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, I, you know, and it's it's interesting. I, I can conjure up millions of ways that people would think, well, the world's ending as I know it. You know, I maybe I personally die because of all the climate change. Maybe I have to just be completely displaced because Florida no longer exists you know, um, because it's completely underwater, but either way, like, you know, my life is ending as I know it. Uh, and so I can conjure up millions of ways, reasons why someone would start contemplating suicide because of that. Right. But another part of me wonders, and we've talked about this a little bit, you know, last week is just this idea of like novelty where like everything has changed to the point where like, you're not even like you anymore, really, or at least your life is just so completely upended that I'm wondering if, like, what would be the proportion of people who, like, either were having thoughts of suicide and no longer do, or don't even contemplate suicide because they they literally don't have time to process everything as it's happening, right? This, the, like, things are so different. You, you talk, I know Joyner's theory the best, right? And I'm obviously not an academic, but, like, is there an idea of, like, perceived burdensomeness in a world that's functionally ending, right? Like, we're not a burden on anyone anymore. Because you know, well, well, hold on, hold on. You're you're thinking at a you're thinking at a super macro level. 
Yeah. I want to go back to because, and, and I'll get back to that, but like that idea of the world is over as I know it for, for someone who has experienced thoughts of suicide, that is kind of at a, at a micro level, what's going on with that person. Is it like, well, my, my life, something has changed so dramatically or uh, my life hasn't changed to a point where I feel like I can keep going. And so right. basically the world that I either knew or the world that I imagined I needed to have to, to continue living healthily doesn't exist. It no longer exists or it just won't exist. And so that's where I'm, that's the point where I can't deal with this. I can't, I can't tell my, my, I can't tolerate the pain anymore. Sure. So, so there's that uh, kind of a, an interesting um, analogy between things at a micro and a macro level. But what you're, but what you're talking about, yes, I think generally society would be like freaking out, right? We will, we'll be trying to figure out how to get to our next meal or, um, how to get from one place to another, how to avoid roaming bandits, um, you know, those kinds of things. But I, I would say for a lot of people on that kind of micro level, it's, I'm going to be a burden to my family because that's one more mouth that they have to feed. Or it's, uh, you know, I, I may have sprained my ankle and now I'm in a position where I'm slowing them down or something, you know, something along those lines. I could see it going both ways. Right. And we see that, I mean, I promise I wouldn't mention it too much, but like the stereotypical zombie apocalypses, there's a lot of like martyrdom, right? It's just like, leave me behind to face this horde of zombies so you can get into the van or whatever you're getting into and driving away down streets that apparently still look okay. And, the you know, like, yeah, and, and nobody's yard is overgrown. Thanks, Walking Dead. <laughs> Maybe the show is garbage. Maybe they we're gonna lose all of our. We're gonna lose all our audience. I don't care. That show makes no sense. Um, but, yeah. Maybe maybe there are herbivore zombies. No, there's not herbivore zombies. The, the animals don't become zombies, and the zombies aren't reaching down to eating grass. Right. Right. Doesn't make sense. Cars don't rust after two years of a zombie apocalypse. That doesn't make sense. They still have the rustproof paint. What if, what if, the, what if? No, no, whatever you're about to say is dumb, but let's go, let's go down that road. No, go ahead. I'm, yeah, I'm, no, I'm no, I mean, this is where we're just riffing because like, I mean, you know, apocalypse is like, we've never encountered one before, obviously. Um, you know, we've had, we've had events in Earth's history, but not with, you know, humanity involved. Well, what if we what if we tried to compare what we would say? I mean, like, and what we're talking about obviously is a global apocalypse, right? So this yeah. is something that, yeah. you know, economies, yeah, economies collapse and disappear. Um, governments are probably either severely crippled or non-existent. Somehow, um, somehow, blockchain and Bitcoin didn't save us. I'm really surprised about that right. because I heard a lot of good things about it. <laughs> um, you know, general public transportation and infrastructure in that in that sense doesn't exist. Right. Um, so, yeah. What like so? You know, would we? How but, would you still counsel someone through suicide thoughts? Well, okay. So, I'm, I'm I'm I think my goal tonight is just to get us as off topic as possible. Sure. So, yeah. Okay. So. We got one viewer, man. It don't matter. Just go for it. So uh, if we're if we're looking at things like this and we're looking at, at it from a global perspective, 
are there events that we can look at that are that have been similar but on on sort of a, a country level or a continent level that we've experienced uh, the black comes death, to right i don't know but we don't have, we don't have figures on suicide during that time right we may not but and this is also even more of a religious push against suicide at that point, probably. That's a that's an assumption I'm making. I mean, it's just in the West, in the West, right? Um, okay, and then so we also can look at something like the Holocaust. I would I would say that was probably something that, for a lot of people, felt like the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. World War, massive world wars probably can can fall into those categories for someone who is, you know, not involved directly in the war. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just thinking of looking at those things, and my, it might help us to go and look at the numbers of suicide during some of these massive kind of upheaval, local and regional upheavals, right? And, and what they did, I mean, for counseling and stuff with those. But uh, granted, I mean, obviously, that's we're looking at the past to try to understand the future, and that's kind of difficult. It's that's it. I like that line of thought. Like on my first inclination especially with stuff like war is that that's a that's a human on human process right so i don't know if that's kind of tit for tat for what we're talking about here where technically if, if you want to go down the man-made climate change route like yes we did this to ourselves so it maybe is human against human in kind of a weird meta way but generally this is just the forces of nature acting right. on us right so does that change the equation for how people react to this kind of tragedy um and you know how they would go about processing all this right it, it's it, it's much I'm, I'm sure like we'll use the holocaust as an example obviously suicides happen in those camps and in in all the areas where like this kind of stuff was happening we know that but what it was it as prevalent as it could have been you know knowing that they had an enemy you know, like they, this is my agency being acted upon by this this other group of assholes. Uh, but, you know, when instead your entire state is just swallowed up by the ocean, like, who do you blame for that? You're going to. And the sad thing is, and we we love humanity, by the way, on this podcast, just love human beings so much. But we will find someone to blame because that's what we do as animals is we're going to lash out at some point. But like, who do we blame? for that uh so I, I just don't know if the suicide rates for those events are going to be informative of an apocalypse scenario uh a climate-based apocalypse scenario i should say you know who I, you know who i would blame scientists yeah because uh, honestly jerks if they had just not told us about this everything would have been fine right yeah we right yeah I mean, I, I think so. Bad things only happen when you're told about them. Right, exactly. And if you ignore your problems, they go away. I think, um, yeah, no, I think this is this is a really good point. So there's there's a couple of interesting aspects here that if we, if we and I know I'm kind of going all over the place tonight. Sure, I, like, I love it. If, uh, if we go back to something like Joyner's theory, so in, the interpersonal theory of suicide, for those who aren't familiar with it, it's a it's a theory that Thomas Joyner um, developed uh, in his research lab that uh, is comprised of three uh, separate components. 
And Bo, you might have to help me out here because uh, this coffee hasn't kicked in yet. But uh, it's uh, uh, perceived burdensomeness, right? Um, thwarted belongingness and acquired capability of self-harm or, or self-injury, I think yeah. is, how, is how it's phrased sometimes. Um, and so those, and, and when you have thwarted belongingness and when you have uh, 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 perceived burdensomeness, those two alone, um, he he has hypothesized that those two uh, components alone create a scenario where someone might have a desire to die, or it creates that that ability to have the thought of of taking one's life. Right. Um, it's only when the acquired capability aspect is added in that we that we actually see that ability to then take one's own life. Right. Um, so that's a really quick and probably terrible um, explainer of the interpersonal theory on suicide, but it's, it's, uh, I think what we, what we have for tonight. So if we look at the apocalypse through those, through those lenses, what do we see? Well, again, I perceive burdensomeness is that one where there's going to be burdensomeness on a micro level. Like you said, like I'm a burden to my family who's trying to trudge away from the, the Florida, whatever it is now because the ocean levels rose suddenly or a lot um to the macro level of like you know this is am i a burden when like basically everybody's going through this horrible stuff you know like you're gonna you're gonna see your burdensomeness mirrored in a lot of other people that you wouldn't have before this event occurred um and then, uh, oh, what was the, you know what? I haven't had a lot of coffee either. What was the second one? The belongingness. belongingness. Yeah, that's an even, that's an either, like, you're going to belong to this community of people who are trying to live, right? And we're, right. we're really just talking right now about, like, during it, right? right? You know, we could talk, who knows what it looks like in the blighted afterscape, because we're at the point as human beings that like somebody will live like rich people in bunkers or like a, a makeshift moon colony that we somehow like hyper fund through Elon Musk's money or something like that. But eventually they'll want to go back to earth because you can't grow food on the moon. We tried, we didn't, I don't know, maybe some did. Um, so yeah, I mean the that thwarted belongingness. I think that's that's interesting. Everyone's going to feel like they belong, right? I mean we're we're going to get to the point where mm. a good portion of people feel like it's maybe their duty to carry on. I think largely, again, I think this is something that we can start. Maybe there's a pattern here. We really can look at each one of these things from a micro and a, a macro level. Um, obviously, that's just something that that. Uh, people, uh, you know, researchers and academics use uh, as a concept to understand these kinds of difficult, complex situations, but looking at things in a small scale and in a larger scale. Um, on a small scale, I think it would still be very possible to feel like you're not belonging or that you don't have a purpose. Like if you are not skilled in the art of survival, that you are now presented with as a necessity to keep your family alive, you know. So now you now you kind of have this purpose purposelessness and this this feeling of not uh, fitting in with the you know the the group of people that you've found yourself with. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would say I would say largely on a on a large scale, something like the apocalypse would probably knock some of us into a mindset of like, oh, maybe all these things that I had issues with this group of people don't matter, and really this is like the planet against us. So. Mm-hmm you know, I, I should be looking at, at humanity as like kind of my brethren, um, globally rather than trying to be so preoccupied with something like nationalism or, right, you know, racism or something like that. Yeah. So I, I mean, think, yeah, we can look at it from both sides. Again. Well, and it's interesting if you look a lot of, at a lot of popular media about apocalypse scenarios and stuff like that, the, the, the devolution back into like tribalism and us versus them and stuff happens after right during the event like everyone's in it you know like and you see like the the racist cop finally extends his hand to the you know right black mechanic and then they go after the zombies together or some crap like that but you know like it, it that's what you see and i don't want to it's probably going to be much more complicated than that like i think even if there's an apocalypse happening a racist is still going to be a racist but yeah i don't know we don't know um so so there right, but is that is that cop going to feel like he fits in with the with the group of people that right. he ends up with um you know i and i think one of the things that we see a lot of times too in a lot of these i would say more realistic stories about what what this scenario would look like each person in this kind of tribe that you know this this inherent tribe that we would find ourselves in because there's a larger understanding that you know power in numbers and um, you know, that we, we can all help each other, that kind of stuff. And that largely most people aren't burdens, but what I've seen in a lot of these kinds of depictions is that even the people that aren't really helpful, like maybe with, uh, some people with learning disabilities or, or, um, uh, other certain, uh, handicaps or things like that are still presented with a role in the community so that they can, um, help, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's going and getting water or, um, you know, something simple that, that they're able to, to do. So, so maybe, maybe it just depends on what sort of community you find yourself in either during or after uh, right. an apocalypse as to whether, whether you feel like you would actually fit in or not. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, yeah. And then acquired capability uh, for self-injury, self-harm. Um I mean, that one's easy. That one's easy. You're going to have way more ability to. <laughs> you're going to. Well, the other, the other component. So the I didn't mention this. The other part, the other aspect of acquired capability is a purely um, habitual one, right? So this is a, this is also a scenario where um, you have been exposed to violence, death, um, traumatic events, mm-hmm. um, anything that it, anything like that. Uh, over a repeated period of time to the point where you have habitualized the um, experience. Now you are desensitized to massive amounts of blood or seeing people die or, you know, violence just in general is a, is a pretty big one, but also sexual trauma, those kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, um, can all kind of stack up. And so, and so when we're talking about the apocalypse and we're talking about roaming groups of bandits, if we're talking about, um, you know, people, uh, large scale diseases, or if we're talking about um, massive droughts and famine, people are going to see a lot of terrible, traumatic things. Yeah. 
And we're going to have to counsel those people as a field, right? Is what I assume we'd still do. I, I mean, we, yeah, I in the apocalypse, to. it'd be like, well, we, I, I'm dead because I'm out of shape. So, you know, I've, I've really. <laughs> you, you've already counted yourself out. I'm not outrunning anyone for the last bushel <laughs> of corn. That's gone. That's away from Iowa. Um, but this is the thing. This is the thing. If you, if you find yourself in a group of people who value you for your intelligence or your planning or whatever the case is, then you have them run and get there you what go. you need. Right. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the puppet master. It's really what's right. going on. But no, but, but sincerely, like, and again, this was the basis of the podcast is just, I had this idea. How would you crisis counsel? Because I was thinking about it in crisis counseling terms. And then I kind of modulated it for, right. for this podcast is what would you do? How would you do suicide prevention when an apocalypse was happening? Or honestly, I think it would be easier to do suicide prevention in a world after the apocalypse because you've survived now that I, that's an assumption, right? It's, that's going to be, all of this is really individual. So, you know, there's going to be other factors still going through people's minds um, even during, during or after the event. But how would you do suicide prevention with someone where like, you know, like there's still a 75% chance tomorrow you're just swept away by like this horrible weather event or, you know, the the cold snap comes and then wolves invade your city. Uh, and that's a that's a reference. You know that movie? The Grey? No, Which not movie? The Grey, The Day After Tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, Grey that's wasn't a, about ap an apocalypse. He was just a It was a personal apocalypse. Oh, it's yeah. all about interpretation, Bo. Yeah, I'm wow. sorry. I'm not up on my Roland Emmerich. Yeah, well, he's a genius and that was probably a better movie than 2012. Sorry. Oh yeah, no, it definitely was. I'm not even. Leave it at Jake Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal, whatever. Um, it's good. They're wolves. Anyway, the gray God, you, you threw me off. I gotta. I gotta. Moving get on, sir. Moving on. Uh, but yeah, so what? What do you say to this person who has a 75 percent chance every day of just dying anyway, like right, from forces right. beyond their control? And, you know, and again, this is the fun of this podcast. It's like, you know, who knows what you would say to that person? It's uh, I would assume it's going to be much more of like kind of at this point, probably more of a peer support model, because you're also going through some crap as someone else who's living through the apocalypse or trying to survive it. Um, but uh, I think a lot of suicide prevention services rely on the fact that there is this idea that you could eventually find hope and get to a place that's better than you are now. And with things very, and again, I don't want to, I want to stress this, like, there's a reason I'm focusing on a climate change apocalypse. We could have done this with an asteroid, but I want to do a climate change apocalypse because that could happen. Like I really, <laughs> Yeah, you know, right, right. Well, and, and I mean, yeah. So, like, you, I, I, I think it is important to um, have these two kind of distinct scenarios where there's during the apocalypse and then there's post-apocalypse, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, I'm thinking, even you know, in, especially in terms of uh, climate change, something like the fires that were out in California, 
like the the stuff that people experienced while that was happening mm-hmm. um while the worst of it was happening and it was sweeping in and wiping away whole cities imagine that on a state level scale mm-hmm. or uh you know an uh, entire west coast level scale mm-hmm. how do you crisis how do you how do you counsel someone while a fire is currently eating up the town that you're sitting in right i don't think i think maybe during a crisis event some or during it like an actual like um apocalyptic or or sort of world ending event is it is it even possible to counsel someone is it even possible like oh my god the world is falling down and the the you know the entire city's on fire um you know, I, I feel like this is a good time for me to kill myself. Right. I'm being very facetious. I'm not trying to be, not trying to be trivializing of anybody's experience, but like for someone to have that kind of experience right then, like, how do you, how do you have that moment? I think, I think pretty much all counseling skills, all training goes out the window, right? You just grab that person and you yeah, evacuate or, you know, something. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and you know, there, there was a recent uh, webinar, uh, one of my centers on the uh, um, one of the Lifeline chat centers, so we get access to this monthly webinar, which is really cool. And they just recently did one on uh, disasters, and uh, it was one of the DDH centers, and kind of they showed people's reaction to uh, climactic disasters, you know, um, and just like at the very uh, during the event, and then right after is where like people are buckling down being there for each other, uh, it's almost, I, I don't, again, I'm not an academic researcher, but I have to assume it's almost activating like kind of a, a more, like more of your lizard brain of like, well, I, I got to survive. I also got to make sure everyone around me survives. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm, it's an evolutionary, it's an evolutionary response. Yeah. And then, and then afterwards, that's when people, and then, and then afterwards you're trying to be like, we can rebuild, we can like, we're going to try to get back to where we were or whatnot. And that's when like that grief process steps in where you realize there is no getting back to where you were. You know, this is your new life. This is your new you. And it's not what you wanted it to be. And it sucks. And that's where like that kind of drop off happens and people start really, you know, getting affected. Do, do, does something like the disaster distress helpline, does that see a, like an inverse relationship of what you're talking about? Like, do they see higher volume, like after yeah. uh, an event or yeah that's that's what assume, we're right that they they yeah. see more after when people people aren't really i mean they they might be texting crisis centers and ddh and all that or calling or whatever during the event but they're also just like i mean literally my house is flooding so i have to go deal with that and i will process right. all of this later and then they process it later and that's when they start reaching out Right. And just like, just like any other sort of like uh, traumatic or violent event is that you right. know, for a lot of people, um, you have that initial um, fight or flight, you have the adrenaline, you have the cortisol, you mm-hmm. have this flooding of hormones in your bodies that are telling you to, to, to go run or, or survive. Um, and then as soon as the event is, is finished, everything kind of goes back to you know, homeostasis mm-hmm. um, and you feel like a crash. And, you, and that's when people tend to go into shock and stuff like that, right? So yeah, and so you know, and I'm not trying to take away at all from the trauma that natural disasters that happen now 
or man-made disasters that happen now, how much of an impact those can have on people, right? But I still feel like that those services are going to look different than whatever we have to provide people when it's literally like there is a worldwide event that's every day just kind of winnowing our population down, you know, like the, the little literal decimation of we're just losing a tenth of our folk every day or every week or whatever that looks like because of these forces that are right now currently beyond our control. Um, and so I, I think what, yeah, so there's a couple of things that I'm, you, you've asked the question, how do we counsel during this or, or after whatever? Um, I think, first of all, we need to round up all of our super optimistic human beings. Sure. Um, Not me. And, 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 I'm gone. And hopefully, <laughs> and so, hopefully, the super optimistic ones that have some sort of crisis, emotional crisis training, um, whether that's suicide prevention, mental health uh, training, whatever. We need to round up the super optimistic, very select people who have this sort of training and kind of keep them, like we need to have one of those in each one of the groups that starts popping up, whether it's cities or towns and those kinds of things. Um, but we also need to have, and this is why we talk about these things, we need to have some sort of plan in place, whether the infrastructure of a government exists after an apocalypse or not, somebody will have knowledge of like a crisis protocol mm -hmm. and say, okay, well, this is how we, this is how we should provide um, emotional support during or post an apocalypse, apocalyptic event. And just a few years ago, and I, and I'm like, people might think that's ridiculous, right? Like, why would we, why would we prepare for an apocalyptic event? And it, yeah. when you say it, it's like, oh, yeah, that's why. Because it's an apocalypse. We should probably be prepared. So there mm -hmm. are a few, like, the CDC a few years ago released a, like, kind of tongue-in-cheek protocol on what to do if there were a zombie apocalypse. Zombie, I saw that, yeah. It was not but a, I it, just, it, was, it was really, like, not good. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was supposed to be, like, advertising the CDC is, like, you know, on top of it and there are things that you could do even if zombie apocalypse happens but like still a ton of people die like like it's not good. <laughs> like, yeah right yeah yeah so so they if they can make something that's arguably not realistic mm -hmm. right is it possible for some governmental body to create a crisis response plan for emotional crises during an apocalypse Right. And especially, uh, especially a suicide focus plan, because I just think that, you know, we, we've been, it's getting at least to the point where everyone can recognize suicide as a public health problem. But one of the main points of this podcast is to show that like, you don't just get to say suicide is a public health problem and then not look at all aspects of how that could, what, what all those permutations look like. So when an apocalypse happens, and this is, I'm glad we can kind of tie this back to the beginning of the co the conversation. Like, you know, if the apocalypse is happening or something like an apocalyptic event is happening, say it's just affecting the United States, but a large enough landmass that we can't just yeah. like, you know, do, do whatever we want with it. Uh, you know, suicide could spread, you know, mm -hmm. it could, and it could spread very rapidly, I think. Um, and we need a plan in place for that. Of well, and I think, yeah, and, and I think, you know, a good place to start might be looking at what we know of in terms of potential causes 
of, of suicide risk um, and, and start looking at things like, and, and again, this goes back to how we should probably be treating things on a public health level now, um, but looking at the opposites of something like the interpersonal theory of suicide. So how do we how do we encourage or create a scenario where someone who's experiencing an apocalyptic event doesn't feel like they're a burden? Mm-hmm. How do we feel like they're connected to someone or some people or a group? And then how do we mitigate the traumatic effects of seeing all the all of the terror and death around you? And then how do we how do we create some sort of mean safety approach during right. a, during a time when like you know looking at the sun could potentially vaporize you or whatever right so so now this is where i'm gonna say uh i'm gonna go because we got about 10 minutes so well we could go as long as we want because we're adults but um you know well speak for your speak for yourself yeah no you're a child with a with a cool goatee um you know so this is where i get to the idea of we don't know how many suicides yeah, no, it looks good. You look good. We don't know how many suicides like a climate-based apocalypse would cause. We don't really have any good way of knowing that. We could make some estimates or whatnot. But is there like a point where when that becomes increasingly more likely, do we need like does the field of suicidology like should we just devote all of our resources to combating climate change instead? Right. Because we can't use the the excuse, not that we ever use it as an excuse, but, you know, a lot of people kind of say stay in your lane. You know, climate, what climatology has nothing to do with suicide. Why would AAS or any other group start trying to throw resources towards climate change? Well, you know, as it's getting worse and worse, like, first of all, we can't prevent suicide if everyone's dead. So mm-hmm. there's that. I mean, you know, I get, or, or we've won in some sad way. Um, what, like what, how do we react to this as a field? And it, and, and I, there's no good answer to this, right? I, I don't have an answer for this. It's just, you know, it is one of those things. Nobody wants to talk, even like me. And I've done, I haven't read a ton of the research and I haven't done a too deep of a dive because just the idea of like there is potentially an impending climate-based climactic event for the world coming up in my lifetime. You can't wrap your wrap your head around that as an individual human being. It's really difficult to. Um, and so yeah, it's not just often- not just in your lifetime, Bo. But like I mean, the latest reports are saying you know that we're going to reach that point of no return. I mean, we're already past the point of no return. Yeah. But we're going to reach that kind of critical moment in less than 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Within a decade. Right. And that's just so hard to wrap your mind about. And so it's, it's so easy for your brain to just be like, well, never mind. That's not right. I I have work tomorrow. Right. I don't have time to think about, you know, the end of all things, but, uh, but, and then this kind of, and this is a weird tangent, but I'm going to go down it. You know, one of my favorite people in the world does Ray stage. Um, you know, when she came and talked to uh, our community um, in September, she uh, mentioned quite a bit about the fact that we like we focus so much on mental illness and suicide prevention that we don't look 
at the idea of trying to make the world better for everyone, right? That we need to focus on just making the world a better place. And we will probably see maybe, if not in reduction in rates of suicide, maybe make it easier for people to be talked out of suicide, to get to the resources that they need, you know, so that they can kind of continue on. And right. I think to, to create to create to create a world where people want to live lives worth living. Yes. And have access to the means to do so. Right. And when we look at suicide as a public health issue, you know, it's affected by all things that affect humanity. And so I think climate change is rapidly becoming one of those things that no, like all fields in the public health realm can't like ignore for too long, right? That climate change is absolutely going to have an impact on suicide at some point. And we just, what we don't know is how, you know, you could make an argument like we did, maybe it'll prevent more suicides because it'll just start this like group like bringing together of people as we're like, oh crap, we're screwed. Let's let's hug and be there for each other and stuff like that. And raise each I other. Enjoy up. your your visualization of people this coming is, this together, is which is just hugging. like smashing, yeah. you know, just smashing your fingers together. I don't I, <laughs> literally like I yeah I I'm not popular with people because this is how I try to hug. Um, <laughs> you should have seen my wedding. It was really awkward. No, um, no, nobody wants to see that. Um, but, but sincerely, like, it's just, I see why the field of suicidology is the way it is, you know, and it's very, you know, one of the things that we've talked about in this podcast and you and I have just talked about personally, we've talked about with everyone else in the field is it's broader than people think it is. Right. So as soon as you think that it's just literally just about one topic, there's a whole bunch of other things that go into it. And that's why I love suicidology as a field, because I really think suicidology shines a, shines a light on the idea of what humanity is and everything that we're going through uh, throughout the years and into the future. And so if we are really this screwed as far as climate change goes, and again, I cannot tell you enough, viewer, we're pretty screwed. Like we've done a lot of bad things to the planet, or if you don't want to follow that research, that's fine, but you the planet has changed precipitously and it's continuing to change. We need to figure out why we need to figure out how to stop it. Um, it we, we can't afford, yeah. sorry, go on. Or just figure out a way to get somewhere else. Yeah, there we go. We should have done this one before we did the space one, right? Because that would have been much popular. Yeah. Like, so we figured we're screwed here. So we're going to go to Mars. What do we do out there? Um, right. But, uh, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking, you know, when we started really focusing on cancer as a public health problem, right? A whole bunch of things come out of tracking cancer and other cancerous diseases. You know, it's when we shone a light on cancer, we started looking at like pollutants in water and all that fun stuff and how we needed to make sure that our waterways were safe and that our drinking water was safe so that people don't get, you know, cancers and, um, you know, tobacco. We still let people smoke tobacco because we believe in individual free will, which is fine, but they at least have to let people know that whatever they're doing to themselves causes, you know, cancer, all that fun stuff. And that's, and that's with cancer, which is probably people would, would agree is like the world's number one public health problem, or at least it's the one for most well, heart disease, 
Yeah, heart disease, cancer. Heart disease. Yeah. Yeah. So with suicide, though, if you shine that same light, we're not looking at like waterways or anything like that. We're looking at everything. Everything mm -hmm. that touches humanity touches the field of suicidology. And, you know, well, but this also this also highlights the fact that we don't know what causes suicide. Like we don't right. understand. And it's because we haven't funded the research to get to that place. Right. You know, I mean, so there's a there's a massive disconnect with something like cancer um, or heart disease or some of these big killers um, is that billions and billions of dollars are sunk into these things over the course of, you know, now 30, 40 years. And we, we still get $68 million uh, through, I think it's NIH every year for suicide prevention research. Yes. So we're, we're, we're sitting at a massive de deficit. Mm -hmm. We don't know what causes suicide. So when you look at something like climate change, it's just one of the other factors. Yeah, absolutely. It could, it could impact someone and it could increase someone's risk. Um, but we don't know. We don't know how and we don't know if it actually makes it possible for you know a suicide event to occur just like we were talking about earlier um you know we know now that that mental illness there's a long 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 held belief that mental illness was a massive factor in a suicide crisis and it was it was like the main thing that could predict whether or not someone was at risk for suicide we now know that over half of half of people who die from suicide every year don't have a di diagnosed mental health issue so these are people who are potentially responding to or reacting to events in their lives or some kind of trauma or whatever the case is. Um, and, and, but we don't know that's the problem. Right. And so again, this, this apocalyptic event could be, could be a catalyst, could just be another thing to put on the pile of whatever this person's going through. Mm -hmm. Could not, it could potentially not have anything to do with someone's suicide. Risk. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, we just simply don't know. Um, I have personal beliefs that I do think that climate change will have a significant impact on suicide. I, but. And that's, and that's a lot of the, you know, a lot of the research is showing that mental health is, is going to be one of the things that's impacted. Mm -hmm. So we're going to see a uh, massive strain in um, international politics. Geopolitics are going to be heavily influenced because of resource allocation. We're going to have, uh, you know, obviously mental health is going to be a, a, a big concern for people who are worrying about things like feeding their family. Right. Um, so, so there's a ton of different little things that you, unless you look at how, how the climate affects everything around us, unless you're looking at it from that scale and then kind of go down one level at a time and start realizing that, oh God, everything is going to be impacted every single thing. There's no way that mental health is not going to be impacted. And there's absolutely zero way to say that that suicide is not going to be, at least for in some individuals, a factor. Right. Yeah. I mean, would you would you say that, like, I mean, I'm really, really glad we had this conversation. I just, I, again, love this podcast. Um, it, you love your own podcast. I love my own podcast, but I just like, it's it's an excuse <laughs> to see you every week, and we get to talk about oh, the random stuff that we've usually just talked about at conferences. Um, the, the whole field, again, of suicidology, and I don't like to speak for the field. I mean, I'm actually relatively new to it. You know, a lot of people have been in it for decades um, and have been doing fantastic work. Kind of like what I was saying where it's so hard 
for like a single human being to like grasp the idea that within 10 years there could be a climactic event that like starts it it won't destroy the world as we know it but it will start that process going and we'll start mm-hmm. seeing things really start to pick up speed when nobody wants to think about that so it's easy for it to just kind of like slide off it's almost like with the field of suicidology since everything goes into like could potentially go into what causes suicide you know and since suicide is so individual to each person that we're at a tremendous disadvantage where it's a lot easier for i'd say governments and you know funding entities just like i don't want to think about that right there's there's no smoking gun for you like there is for even like say something like cancer or heart disease that you know like that we just we can't we can't throw funding at that when it's it could balloon into all these other things again when it comes down to it it's about making the world a better place for everyone which is you know like i mean that that's a brilliant thing but it's going to be difficult as all hell i think this is and this is kind of what i was alluding to earlier in 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 terms of like a fighting chance against suicide in a post-apocalyptic world right like you're going to have to look at how to counteract any of the things that we sort of understand as uh creating risk of suicide so tribalizing up right like finding your finding your tribe finding the people who you can you can use as supports within that kind of uh uh minuscule society that that is popping up in these post-apocalyptic days you you need to make sure that you have a purpose and that you're contributing and that uh you know and that you don't necessarily feel like a burden um there's going to be a ton like you mentioned earlier a ton of peer support empowering um each other to to provide that level of crisis support um and then yeah figuring out some way to mitigate um any sort of trauma um and then uh it's kind of tough to say like anything kind of surrounding mean safety in a post-apocalyptic world where if you're hunting for food or if you are um you know, protecting yourself against the, the roaming bandits. I really like this idea of roaming bandits, by the way. Yeah, you've been on that for a while. You're just, I feel like you're going to be a roaming bandit if you get <laughs> to that point, right? <laughs> uh, that'd be cool. So, uh, the, <laughs> but, you, uh, but yeah, so like you're going to have, you're going to have to have some sort of, you know, way to protect yourself. Um, and so means restriction, I think would become, or means safety would become very uh, difficult. Means safety just means um, making sure that if you have access to the most lethal means of suicide, that they are some, somehow um, kept uh, apart from the person at risk. So, so I think those are going to be the biggest components. Just taking what we know, what we think we know now about what we can get as close anyway to what right. we know about risk, and kind of flipping on it on its head. And I think, you know, a lot of regional and local areas have these kind of crisis response plans that usually integrate some sort of behavioral health approach. Um, but those are like typically really small scale. Yeah. And so how do you, you know, how do you, again, we have a scaling issue. How do you scale that up? Yeah. To um, nationally or worldwide even, you know? Uh, yeah. Right. When we're already, at least nationally, um, super, uh, constrained with our mental health access 
in rural areas mm-hmm. and you might have one behavioral health specialist for at least, you know, I'm, I'm in Kansas. So at least, uh, you know, in some of the rural Western areas, we have, uh, you know, groups of 10 or 15 counties with, you know, a handful of behavioral health people. Right. Um, so how do you scale that up? And, and, and that's if these people survive the apocalypse. Yeah. And, and with all known communications methods maybe being down as well, right? I mean, there's, yeah. So what do we do? Um, and the answer is we mandate peer support training for all people age 12 and above nationally, I guess. That would be... That would be super cool, actually. It'd be really cool. Probably cheap too, compared to you know the loss of humanity. Well, there's no money when we're all dead. That's true. We we all trade, you know, uh, bottle caps or whatever. Yeah, like in Fallout. It's awesome. Fallout is a game about the apocalypse. <laughs> Viewers, <laughs> listeners, it's really cool. You know, but sincerely, it is a cool game. Um, I'm so glad you explained that. No, well, I think the newest one's garbage, but most of the rest are good. Did we did we figure it out? I don't think so. No, we just. I really. I love I love our conversations, but it's so difficult ending it because it's like I don't feel like we've done anything. I feel like we've accomplished nothing, but you know, right. No, I. I so you know, we've accomplished the fact that we know that there's. And we, we've known this, right? We didn't even have to spend a, an hour-long podcast on this, but I'm glad we did. It's just we knew that, you know, every major worldwide event of this scale or and – and by event, I don't mean like just the apocalypse, but like last, last week was a good example of like the, the event horizon of being able to fully colonize space and what that looks like, you know, like – there needs to be a behavioral health slash suicide prevention plan in place for all those events. We need to, we need to think forward on this. And I think again, climate change is a very real thing. I don't want that to be uh, uh, controversial on this podcast, but I believe it's there. And if you look at the research, whether you want it to be or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. But anyway, it's a very real thing as far as most research, 99.97%. You don't even need to qualify it. You don't even need to qualify it. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. Thank you. Um, uh, and we and it's going to have an it's it will probably have an effect on our field. And we need to know that. We need we need to know that as a field. And I'm not saying that people have been willfully like not paying attention to it, but again, our field is very large. So it's just it yeah. probably hasn't landed on many people's radars, right? You know, um, but we need to be aware of it as a field. And by God, we got to get in front of any government that will listen to us and say we we need to have a suicide prevention plan in place for when these events or this event in total starts happening. Um, And that plan could be something as simple as just take what you're doing now and try to apply it the best you can. Probably it's not going to be that. It probably needs to be something more. And there's a lot of unknowns, but we need to at least try to do something, try to have something in place. Um, And yeah, this this was the positive spin of this podcast, right? Like I had like, I had a way of doing this that was going to be just depressing as hell. And I feel like we're already still depressing as hell. 
Yeah, it wasn't. It, I mean, I'm not. I don't feel super uplifted. I do feel like, you know, this is something that again we can just put on people's radars and start thinking about. You know, like what? How is how is climate change going to affect things? Well, is I the think doomsday. I think the uplifting part for me is just again kind of pointing out that suicide in its best moments as a public health issue shine d- does shine a light on issues that we need to face as hu- as humanity. Um, and so it's, and I like that. I actually really, I think it's a beautiful, I don't know why I use this language, but I think it's a beautiful part of suicide as a public health problem is that it touches all parts of humanity. And it's just one of the, this is one of those parts that we haven't talked about much as a field and i don't know if we will spend any time on it you know we did this podcast and that's great but you know it it we might not we just don't have enough time to deal with something like that and we might have to just trust that other scientists in those other fields who are doing just as awesome work um in research and trying to get the message out about their own public health problem which is you know climate change and how it is a public health problem because you won't have a public if uh, the things keep going as it does, we might just have to trust them that they're doing the right thing and we just have to keep moving on. Um, I don't know. I guess that that's still not uplifting. I've really failed <laughs> at this. <laughs> we're doing, we're getting closer. I don't know that we, I don't, I don't know that we have to give anybody an answer, but no, it's like, we're just cheerful nihilists. Like, Hey, you know, I think, I think we have to, I think we just have to stop talking now. Okay. Well, it is. It is a little over our time. <laughs> we did. did we, I, we did well, right? We got close. Yeah, sure. So, sorry, everybody. Uh, next next week's gonna be fun. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, it's time for us to go. So yeah. thanks, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. Make sure to check us out on iTunes and Spotify. Um, if you have comments or if you think that we totally screwed up this conversation, please leave comments. Um, we want to hear them. We want to take what you, uh, what, what you know and use it in our own podcast. So, um, talk to you guys later. Thanks everyone. Have a good night.